I'm Sean. And I'm Clayton. And we're men who like men who like movies. Two queer men who love movies, love talking about movies. And after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. This week was your pick, Sean. What'd you make us watch? Well, I didn't make you do anything because you're <laughs> no, the one that I was that quite happy me. to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one that actually made me watch this movie. <laughs> I picked out a little film from 2018, which like seven people saw. Mm-hmm. You included them. <laughs> so six other people than Clayton at the, in theaters that he made me watch. And I thought I was going to hate it and ended up loving it. Uh, and we did 2018's Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes, we Royale did. Royale with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, you made me watch this movie and it was one of our, like, we were just hanging out and you were like, you have to watch this movie. And I was like, (sighs) and you had been talking about it for like months at this point. Mm -hmm. And I remember, (laughs) I remember you, I was finally like, fine. It was like a Saturday. I was off and it was Saturday night and I was like, all right, fine. And we watched it and I just remember going holy shit that was so much fun um but yeah i love this movie and we have a special guest today to help us out um we've got arthur howell from two cents critic uh arthur we're so glad to have you yeah thank you for coming yes hello (laughs) hello yeah i'm I'm really happy to be here as well and yes hello i'm arthur arthur howell the host of two cents critic and i cover on my show books movies and tv shows and i've actually had Clayton and Sean on my podcast a couple times once to cover yeah. Creep and then the other time we d- d- discussed Death Note the anime just recently and that was a blast yes if you want to hear me being super horny on Maine uh, go listen to our Death Note episode <laughs> yes, yes more than usual <laughs> hear us talk about the Death Note and the relationship between Light and L and uh, the feet of course all the feet all the feet so many feet <laughs> tarantino wet dream yes we love it <laughs> so this was your first time seeing this arthur what'd you think so i really just dived into it and i ended up coming out of it just having a blast it was and it has been on my watch list hovering around it for a while now so when you know when you were presenting me with the, the options of what we could cover i saw this and i was like hey you know what this looks pretty interesting you know It'll give me an excuse to finally see it. And yeah, I just really got got into it. And I feel like, aside from from a few, like, gripes I may have here and there, I feel like the runtime, that's one of them, it's like, I feel like the runtime could have been shaved down to tighten things up. But overall, this was a, this was a, a great time. It almost feels like the kind of movie that you don't get much of anymore. Kind of like something... No. It feels like a throwback to the 90s or 2000s. It's kind of like this small, you know, mid-budget movie that's got a, a fantastic cast. And just like this crime movie that has all of these themes of like of redemption and faith and, and justice and right and wrong. It's just, and, and all of this, this, uh, this atmospheric motel here, the El Royale. Yes, all of that. Seriously though, it's this movie is just so much fun. It's it really is. Like it's it's one of those movies. Like I think you're right. It is an indescribable movie 
that like it has so much going on for it and it feels like a deconstruction of the genre while also kind of playing on the hits <laughs> and I, I really enjoy it as well as, as as someone who is trying to get, get into more noir cinema neo-noir film noir and just watching this was also great to just you know film that need watch something like a, a neo-noir thriller yeah this movie is like the tarantino film he wishes he would have directed i mean throw in a few shots of feet and <laughs> you could think this was a tarantino movie honestly i mean we get shots of the boots <laughs> nah you don't see cool. the little piggies it's nah. not tarantino <laughs> true, true. the little piggies are out to market sorry <laughs> sorry qt <laughs> also, also no, no, notable that this was uh drew goddard Coming just written, directed, mm-hmm. and produced, and it's just like it's very interesting that he has a filmography that that has this, and then the cabin in the woods, and it's just like wait, he hasn't helmed anything else. That's that's so strange. Yeah, and both of those are fantastic, great scripts, oh, yeah. very Definitely. well directed. Definitely. He also lots wrote lots of love, uh, love for cabin. He did. <laughs> oh, Cloverfield. That's right. I was going to say, I've been a big fan of Drew Goddard since his Buffy days. I believe it was on Angel, or he wrote for Angel and Buffy, if I remember right. I believe you are right. Definitely Angel. I'm not sure about Buffy. Yeah, he was a staff writer for Buffy and Angel. And then on Alias and Lost, and then he did Cloverfield. Then he went to directing with The Cabin in the Woods. And then uh, wrote World War Z. And then the Daredevil well, TV I show. I won't hold won't hold War Rosie against him. Yeah, I was going to say, he rewrote the third act, so... Yeah. <laughs> and I thought I was saying that. You can skip that. it, Arthur. I give you permission. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you... It's a skipper. Oh, dear. But yeah. he also did... He wrote The Martian as well. It's the script for the film meditation. Which I still yes, have to see as well. The Martian. I have not seen The Martian because I am not the biggest fan of Matt Damon. Oh, it's actually really good. <sighs> it's it's very it one day. it's like one the of the best Matt good. Damon's. Oh, the book is really good, and honestly, Matt Damon does a really good job of making Mark Watney from the book into a real person. Like into like he's a little bit too happy, joy in the book, <laughs> and so I feel like he he does play it very well. And it's one of my favorite Matt Damon roles, actually. Oh, notable, notable. Other than Interstellar, where he totally gets killed. <laughs> I just rewatched Interstellar recently, and okay, good. I was th- if you would have said I haven't seen Interstellar, I would have felt so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Interstellar has been out long enough. I feel like it's okay to drop a spoiler about this minor character <laughs> in Interstellar. <laughs> I, it's funny. Right. I've been seeing so many people talk about Interstellar and and Matt Damon's role in that. But I will say, when I first saw that movie a few years ago, I actually had no idea that Matt Damon was even in it. Which is like. Granted, I wasn't that deep into cinema world at that point a few years ago, but still, like I, again, I still I didn't know, which is weird well, to think about. But when I went and saw Interstellar, I didn't know he was in it. It was a total yeah. surprise when he showed up on screen in the theater. It, it was meant to be like they they True, kept yeah. him quiet so that way it would be a surprise when he came up. And True. it, I mean, I, I guess it's been long enough that I don't feel as bad. But like, if, if you would have said I hadn't, Timothy Chalamet was like there. a child when Interstellar came out and he was in that. So. That's right. 
Yuck. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he he was a son, the son who Cooper didn't give a crap about compared to the most. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I was gonna say. <laughs> Ma- Sean, Matthew McConaughey was not Timothy good... Chalamet wasn't interstellar. <laughs> no, I was gonna say Matthew McConaughey was not a good dad. <laughs> but Sean, love is the next dimension. Oh fuck off! Oh my god! <laughs> yes, it is love. Murph, Murph. I genuinely love it. I haven't heard my name said so many times. Interstellar is a beautiful, but that specific plot point makes my eye twitch every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alright with uh, it. I don't... I don't, it's not love that is. It's supposed to be like basically future humans. Send it, oh my god, why are we talking about interstellar? Yeah, I'm like, We're please about don't make me break down interstellar. I'm gonna like just leave. Anyway, uh, as for my relationship with, <laughs> as for my relationship with Bad Times the Oriel, I went and saw it in theaters with my friend Lacey, former guest, on our Revolutionary Road episode. And we went and saw this and 2018's Halloween back-to-back. I believe this was the second feature. And believe it or not, the theater was pretty packed for Bad Times Del Real, although its box office would not reflect that, unfortunately. But I love this. This made me fall in love with Dakota Johnson. I will literally, if she's in a movie, I'm there. I'm 100% there just to see what she's doing. And it really did. Yeah, I, I love remember... It. Again, this is very Tarantino-adjacent feeling, and... Like Arthur said, it's not the type of movie you really see anymore. And I loved it. And also, I know uh, if anyone's following me on social media, I have gotten some pretty cool coloring books. And I would love to find a Bad Times the L-Real coloring book if one exists. Someone uh, tweet me or something because I want to color really this. this movie. This movie did so bad. Like, there's no way there's I know there's book. not. But sometimes, you know, fans like that horror coloring book I've got, it's completely like unaffiliated. Somebody could have made one. I can dream. Yeah. For bad times at the El Royale. If any artists are listening to me, draw me up some El Royale coloring book pages and I will color them and post them and we'll love you forever. So You said you hadn't seen his tweets, Arthur? Oh no, I said I had I had seen uh Clayton's tweets about the coloring books and they look like they're fun. You know, it's been a while since I've done any coloring. But it's so relaxing. Yeah, it, it relaxed me when I was little, definitely. But it, it's a shame that this movie did did end up well, not I don't know if it bombed. Did it bomb necessarily? Like it, it made almost, it, almost. Um, it know. didn't even make its budget. Like it's not even cutting marketing or anything. It didn't even make its basic budget back. So yeah, I guess it's I just, would consider it, that a failure. On <laughs> it's a shame though because this movie is just so fantastic. It should have it should have made more money. And again, this this. In this current era of of superhero movies and just all of these like big movies that have all of the CGI and Fast and the Furious and stuff like that, where's the space for the mid-budget movies? Again, that have such a stellar cast as well. The death of the mid-budget film is one of the frustrations of my adult life. And then people complain about, well, nobody ever makes grown-up movies that are original and for adults anymore. And then, you know, there's this movie, which is a very original mid-budget movie that in the 90s again would have been huge and nobody went to fucking see it but the big movie big ip driven movies are not doing well and barbie i mean barbie is an ip but it's not like you know uh, barbie was a, or something 
but yeah, Barbie and Oppenheimer are doing wonderful, and so I'm sure the studios will take all the wrong lessons from it and you know continue <laughs> to not pay their fucking writers and actors. But people will show up. And I'm hoping we start getting more original things like this in the future. Well, and another thing is, I think I think you hit it right on the nail to art. Um, do you go by art or Arthur? Do you care? Do, do, uh, I'm sorry. I typically go by Arthur, but hey, if you want to call me Art, no, no, honestly, no, no, I won't. Call you. I was like, I'm where are you even getting art from, Sean? Like, I have <laughs> no never idea. Heard I'm thinking called art ever I haven't either. <laughs> I'm like, the only art I can think of is Art the Clown, and he doesn't even talk, so he's really shitty to have on a podcast. I did not mean to imply that you are anywhere close to Art the Clown, Arthur. I mean, if you were, Um, I would still love you, because Art the Clown is iconic. (laughs) Yeah, you can get this all on your body, okay? Um, I haven't even seen Terrifier, so whatever. No, but Arthur, you hit it right on the head. You really did. I think this movie is a little bit overlong. I I love it for that reason, but I do think that it is, for a lot of mainstream audiences, it's a little bit of a slow burn. And sometimes that doesn't always fare well in our in our give it to me now may <laughs> give it to me now or give it to me loud i will say even though this is long when i went into this and i was just like i feel like i remember it being long or paced weird and then i watched it and i was like i would not cut anything i think it's paced so perfectly oh. you don't feel the runtime a lot but like oppenheimer which again i'm in the minority on this everybody loves it it's great i think it's very technically proficient but I feel every single second past the two-hour mark in Oppenheimer, in Hop, oh my god, in Oppenheimer until the end, and this, I don't. Well, I think I'm you're also. This is more up your alley. Like it's very much as a lot of your interests. I mean, Oppenheimer is right up my alley. Pretentious. And Tar was like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> well, I know, but I just I feel like you. <laughs> For you, at least knowing you, is you are such a huge fan of Tarantino, and I think you're right. I think this does have a lot of, like, Tarantino-isms. And this and, does, like Arthur said, it does feel like a 90s movie almost. Yeah. much and, slicker, uh, and I love yeah. 90s movies. <laughs> and it's, you know, like... Yeah, something, I about, know something you... about the dark energy. The dark mm-hmm. energy. It does. It does almost have a dark energy, and it's very much... Uh, everyone in this most of the people in this movie are kind of bad guys which i think is funny for a a, you know a movie about who you're who are you trying to root for (laughs) dakota johnson (laughs) yeah i will as much as i i love emily silver as much as i love emily summer spring i am a darlene sweet lover i love all of them i love every single character in this movie equally they're all my little children that's not true dakota johnson is my favorite I tried. But don't tell the others. <laughs> I tried. I tried to make my choices because then I was like, okay, I love what well, I love. The, I love the dynamic between between Darlene and and Father Flynn. And then I also, but I also love Emily Summer Spring. She's fantastic, and of course Dakota Johnson brings so much of that charisma to her. It's funny because like she's she's so shady. At first, and then when we were saying, oh, did he kidnap someone? And it's like, what the hell are you doing? But then it's like, oh, no, but I still want to, I, I want to inherently, like, invest myself in you or trust you in some way, purely because of Dakota. Yeah, when this came out, 
you know, she was doing the Fifty Shades movies or had just finished them, but I think it was during them. And so I'd seen her, you know, in her small part in The Social Network and Fifty Shades, and that was pretty much it. And this, I think, was it right before Suspiria came out? Oh. I'm trying to think when Suspiria came out because it was in 2018. Yeah, I think this came out. Actually, it was probably around the same time. But yeah, after when this movie finished, I was like, I am going to see Dakota Johnson in anything she does forever just to see what kind of performance she's going to give. Yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Wonderful. I'm not going to lie. Um, and Suspiria came out before this, just to let you know. I I was one of those people who was on the fence because I did watch the first Fifty Shades of Grey. And I yeah, was like, I'd, I'd been <laughs> seeing her in that, and I was like, you know, I like her, but it's it's the Bella problem. You know, the character sucks. There's nothing wrong with the actors. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you try not to hold it against them, but then, like, yeah, she really is such a fascinating actress, and I think she's, like, she's really shining in so many things, and I hope she shines forever. <laughs> I think she's my favorite Nepo baby. Ooh, that's such a hard call. Yours is Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, sometimes I forget that she is a Nepo baby. Yeah, she's like that. the OG Nepo, Actually, Nepo baby. Actually, <laughs> uh, my favorite is Sigourney Weaver. Thank you. Sigourney Weaver is not really a Nepo baby. I was like, how is Sigourney a Nepo baby? <laughs> her mother was an actress, Elizabeth Inglis. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Have you heard of Elizabeth English, Arthur? No, I don't think so, no. See? Not an Epo baby. Still doesn't mean you don't have connections in Hollywood. <gasps> Think anybody would have heard of Tori Spelling if it wasn't for her dad? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tori. <laughs> Tell that Funny. to Debbie Reynolds. Why are casting the strays? Oh, dear. Apparently. I'm feeling fiery tonight. <laughs> so long, John Silvers. Apparently. Do it every time. So I'm guessing from this conversation, we would all recommend this movie to people. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Definitely. If you have enough time. <laughs> it's not that long. <laughs> Even with there credits, it's like two hours, hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, with it, credits, it's not, 220. It's not so it's really hours. like 215. Yeah. Like this is I basically agree. the same I length did. as the new Little Mermaid. Yeah. That felt a little long too. <laughs> Well, there's not as much to that story as there is to this one. Like, The Little Mermaid, I obviously really like it. Everybody knows I love it. But there are little bits you could cut down out of that. I don't think there's anything from this I would actually want gone. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I feel like the stuff with what's-his-name in in Vietnam could be cut. I know it's not a lot. Oh, my my like Yes, Miles. Oh, well, no, I, I love that, actually. No, I love that. I love the point of it, like him, but, like, I don't know if we needed to see it. I kind of got it. <laughs> it would have felt know. weird, though, if we didn't, since we get little snippets from all of them in their backstories. Yeah. That is true. And yeah, it I helped I like make it. sense. I would rather see that than have him be like, I was in Nam, and... Well, that wouldn't have been Nam. That would have been the Korean War. And I just, you know, I was just throwing out the classic back in Nam. Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I like, I like seeing it though. I, I like seeing it. It does help me feel that much more for his character. And if I had gun to my head, red or blue, if I had to axe anything from this movie, it would be the childhood 
backstory of Emily and Rose. I would I didn't need to see that. I could have just seen it starting at the beach and seeing what happened. Well, I think that's mm. to establish who Emily is. Um, not to get so deep into the movie before we don't get to the production, but I think that really does establish who Emily is. Yeah, like, again, like, I love all of it, but if sister. I had to, that's literally the only thing I could even think of trimming down from this. See, but I, I like that, that too. I like that too. And in fact, I feel like there are moments actually where I feel like I could have used even more detail for a few backstories, you know, like maybe, maybe more details actually for Emily and Rose, maybe just a bit more. Ugh, Rose. <laughs> I, I, that character is so evil. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my god. Like, when she, when she popped up, like, not at first. Again, because we, you know, like, oh, they're, they're kidnapping. So not at first. I didn't really think much of her at first. But then it's like, oh, as the movie progresses. And it's like, oh, uh, she's eerie. She's like, she's, she's giving me the creeps. And I should note, that the actor who played her, Katie Spaney, was actually on a sci-fi series called Devs, helmed by Alex Garland. And on that show, she plays another character who is not as eerie, but still pretty unnerving as you watch her do certain things and act in certain ways. Where it's like, oh, I don't really trust you either. I just love... Kaylee Spaney is, you're right, she is the creepiest part of this movie. And I love how her eyes are like a shark's eyes. Like, she never opens them very wide. It's like, a very she's unnerving just, performance. It's a very yes. unnerving, like, she just feels there is something wrong with her. Yeah, there's something, <laughs> would you say, I don't know, maybe sociopathic, almost, behind her Absolutely. Body? I mean, I would just say broken, personally. <laughs> Some people are just born bad. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I think we've already said we would all <laughs> we recommend this. Are you ready to get to the production history part? Yeah, take us through this all production, right. Sean. All righty, I don't have a ton. But um, it was written and directed by Drew Goddard, uh, who, as as for mentioned, ca- directed Cabin in the Woods and was a writer for Buffy and Angel, which is my favorite series. Cinematography is by Seamus McGarvey. Who did Atonement, Natural Animal, or not Natural Animals, Nocturnal Animals. <laughs> there you and, go. And Cyrano, which I haven't seen, so that means you wrote that down. <laughs> uh, I did. Well, it's just, it's really beautiful cinematography. <laughs> it really is. Beautiful this movie film. is beautifully shot. Um, it's based on a real, a real scandal-prone hotel and casino that straddled the, straight, the state line between California and Nevada called the Cal Neva. Um, which was once owned by Frank Sinatra, and it had scandalous connections to Marilyn and JFK and Ooh. a few other celebrities. Ooh, oh my. How naughty. Uh, Goddard began writing the spec script of Bad Times at the El Royale in November 2016, and to prepare for the film financially, he pitched the project with a budget and a selection of songs he wanted included. Um, on March 8th, 2017, 20th Century Fox bought the screenplay, accepted Goddard's terms, and set the budget to $32 million. Uh, it was shot on actual film without traditional set lighting. The hotel was designed to allow enough light to shoot by. I love when movies use real lighting. Mm-hmm. I know. It, it does really does. Out. Such as out the atmosphere, the visuals, yeah. It always adds such great shadow, mm-hmm. which I think is always fantastic because the shadows really give the hotel, really give the hotel life or death, whichever one you're looking at. <laughs> yes. 
there was no pre-recorded soundtrack, so all of Cynthia Revo's singing in the film is for real. For the lengthy tracking shot behind the behind the hotel mirrors, Arivo had to perform "You Can't Hurry Love" twenty seven times. You wrote "Try a Little Tenderness," but I don't think that's the song she's singing. Uh, she sings them at different times. In that scene, it is "Try a Little Tenderness." Oh, oh, because she sings "You Can't Hurry Love" when they keep going back and forth. When he first, uh, when John, it's when John Hamm discovers it. Yeah, he's listening to her saying, you can't hurry love. Nope. That is when Dakota Johnson is watching later in the movie. Oh, is it? I'm going to have to confirm this. I'm going to have to confirm this. Yeah, it is. It is that. Yes. Yeah, you are correct. You are correct that you can't hurry love. Is it trying a little tenderness? You might be right. I'm sorry. That was my fault. I was skipping ahead. (laughs) Hey, I can't be right all the time, okay? <laughs> uh, it took eight months to plan the same tracking shot, which Ham's character discovers a secret corridor of the El Royale and watches the hotel guests through one-way mirrors. I, I love can, a good tracking shot. I can imagine how, like, oh, just how much effort had to have been invested into that task. This particular be pinned out. Yeah, because, I mean, there's everything going on in all the rooms and coordinating all these people to come in and out and do all this stuff while he's walking back and forth. And, yeah, it's super cool. Love it. Yes, it is really cool. Um, And then to get to the cast, we've got Jeff Bridges as Father Daniel Flynn, or as his name as he forgets, Doc O'Kelly. <laughs> Cynthia Erivo as Darlene Sweet. Uh, Dakota Johnson as Emily Summers I mean, Frank. can we just say Cynthia Erivo, our next Alphaba on the big screen if Wicked ever fucking comes out? It will come out eventually. Hopefully. Hopefully. You know. Which is funny because I love Cynthia Erivo, but she was not my first choice. Um, I think she's going to do fantastic. But oh, she'll I, be great. But yeah, I thought it was a weird pick. but I, I love her, so it'll still be good. Uh, Dakota Johnson is Emily Summerspring, who, in my opinion, is MVP tied with Darlene for <laughs> tied with Darlene for MVP of the movie. Um, Louis Pullman, who is Bill Pullman's son, yeah, as another Miles Nepo Miller. baby, yeah. and yeah. he's wonderful in Top Gun Maverick. He is. Yes. Uh, honestly, I think he's really wonderful in this. Yes, I was just Definitely. saying that's another fun, <laughs> another fun Louis Pullman performance. Because this is the first thing I really remember him in. I know you've Same. seen him. Um, I know he's in Strangers Pray at Night, but I always forget that. Uh, uh, I always forget that, too. John Hamm as Laramie Seymour Sullivan, or Special Agent Dwight Broadbeck. Uh, Kaylee Spaney as Rose Summerspring. And the ultra-sexy Chris Hemsworth as Billy Lee. Mm-hmm. Billy Lee. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I'd, I'd walk into the ocean after him. <laughs> this is the hottest and that's probably a... has ever been. <laughs> and that's a problem. <laughs> because he's very much a cult leader. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but well, I mean, thing. how do you think you get to be a cult leader, Sean? You're charismatic. So exactly. So it makes mistake. sense. It makes sense to cast someone as charismatic as Chris Hemsworth as a cult oh. leader. It'd be, it'd be like if you're watching a movie and say if you cast like Keanu Reeves as a cult leader. And it'd be like, whoa, okay, that's a casting choice. But also, you know what? Keanu Reeves is so damn charismatic. So that's what it fits. 
I would Keanu try to cult him then like spring to ever believe he's a cult leader. <laughs> I would join the cult of Emily Summerspring. Yeah, True. same. <laughs> uh, you ready to get into the to the movie? Mm-hmm. Like the movie yeah. itself. Yeah. Alrighty, so we start off with Nick Offerman in this movie for approximately six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> is it even six minutes? <laughs> I think this is like an opening scene for three, and then he's in the next one with the where they get the money for three, so it's about six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about that. Uh, who is in a hotel room who literally moves everything, lifts up the floorboards, throws a bag down in there, puts everything back where it was. Somebody gets there. Somebody knocks on his door. He lets them in, and they promptly shoot him in the back to a title card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I predicted. I I was like, yep, he's going to get shot. I know when a movie opens with a murder. Yes. And then we are introduced to Darlene Sweet, a young singer who has traveled to the El Royale Hotel to stay before her gig in Reno. Yeah, good old Reno gig. Legitimately, this is the Like, I love Cynthia Rebo, and I liked her. I really loved her in The Color Purple musical, which... I didn't get to see, but I, of course, watched well, the bootleg. There's a movie coming out, I think, this year, so, or maybe next right? year. I don't know. So you'll get to see a version of the musical. Oh, it's I know. And it's a really great musical. Um, and I've, I've watched a bootleg, so we'll call it. Um, and she is just so fantastic in this. Like, everyone yeah. in this movie is absolutely charismatic. But she brings such a charismatic and, like, such charisma and strength to a role to this role that i just and a dignity which i really love about her like she just seems an incredible person and i i just really love the character of darlene definitely i do too and i would also say like for any listeners if you want to watch another movie of hers go see widows because that's also fantastic Mm -hmm. oh she's so good she's so good in widows I just, I think she is, I think she should be one of the people who really is acting, should get, like, nominated for a lot of stuff. Like, she's, she's, she's the new Viola Davis, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, damn, that is quite the claim, but I can see her. I would, I would, I mean, she's just, she gives, Viola Davis just gives so much humanity to every role she's in. And I think that's a big thing that Cynthia Revo does, too. Is just she just gives such human performances, and I know it's that sounds kind of stupid and kind of like maybe trite, but like I like it. it mm-hmm. But it it really <laughs> it really does like it's it they're just so so good. Both of them are are just incredible actors. Absolutely, and I'm glad you also thought of Viola Davis because again. Widows. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are both in Widows. Yeah, so uh, she arrives at the El Royale, and we meet Jeff Bridges' character, Father Flynn. And they go inside to this gorgeous old hotel, and we see John Ham. Good old John Ham. 
And this is the mo- also before we get to John Ham, this is the moment where Darlene starts crossing the line. And she does the, start crossing the line. One of the things I really love about this movie is the they use the line between California and Nevada as a a, a motif or a a symbol of essentially crossing the line between wrong and right. And she doesn't cross the line until Father Flynn helps her across it. Across it? Across? Oh my god. <laughs> I just made Jesus, up a word. Sean. Across it. Across it, you know? Yeah. Across it. And I like it. Like, And here's the thing. I actually didn't catch on to this visual, this visual element of the movie until very late into the plot and then it's like oh crap maybe i should have paid more closer closer attention to those moments but i feel like next time like when i rewatch this eventually because i will rewatch it sometime i'll pay closer attention to these little beats it is this movie is does reward repeat viewings yes this is a very very rewarding rewatch like it's just it's done this movie is just done so well and it really does reward you with more things that you notice Every time you watch it again. Um, but yeah, now you are correct. We are introduced to Laramie Seymour Sullivan. A southern vacuum salesman. Who <laughs> is quite positively sucking all the life out of the room. <laughs> it is wonderful. He is so funny. His so so thick southern accent is just <laughs> wonderful. And he's just such a jerk. Like he, he plays Nobody it off plays so jerk well. better than John Hamm. That is true. He is very good at playing jerk. But the thing is, he's so like he like I don't know, like just there's something kind of charming about him here. Something likable because it's just like he's he's chatting so much, just talking everywhere. And it's like, yeah, being a jerk, but also like it's kind of growing on me. I'm finding it to be endearing. That's <laughs> why he's a good salesman, wink wink. <laughs> wink wink, nudge nudge. Um, but yeah, and we learn that Father Daniel Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges, is from the Immaculate Heart of Mary's in Bloomington, Indiana. Woo, which, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, we're in something. Woohoo. <laughs> uh, in case you're listening and you don't know, we're both, me and Clayton are from Indiana. Yes. Yeah. So I have a question for you. A lot of his dialogue to Darlene is seems either both casually racist casually sexist or is it both <laughs> i 100 percent think it's both but i also think it's just the character he's playing right yes i would say the same thing yes agreed because i don't think if dwight broadbeck really would have felt that broadbeck 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 um if he would have felt this he wouldn't have tried to save you know a little lady he tries to save later yeah but when he's like do you work in the hospitality business no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like he then he just goes i bet you know some gals who just need who just might need a vacuum and it's like "Mm -hmm. yep yep what do you mean by that (laughs) yeah i've been slipping it in there yes but we end up learning um Darlene has finally had enough of Laramie Seymour Sullivan's shit, and she bangs on the door to get the attention of Miles Miller, our bellhop slash 
concierge slash concierge slash housekeeping slash <laughs> housekeeping slash bartender slash food maker. <laughs> and he, I love his little like speech. <laughs> his speech is so cute. <laughs> I just love when he sees the priest. He's just like, this is not a place for a priest, father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so worried. So tense. I also love Laramie's going, well, the Lord doesn't want you in the in the, in the honeymoon suite. <laughs> I agree, though. I've always wanted to stay in a honeymoon suite. This one's actually really, it's assertive. Like, it really is. Even for... Like, I love the wallpaper and the giant tub in the middle. Like, it's literally at the door. Like, yeah. like, I want a coloring book. I want to color this set. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but his little uh, speech is, the El Royale is a bi-state establishment. You have the option to stay in either the great state of California or the great state of Nevada. Warmth and sunshine to the west. Or hope and opportunity to the east. Which would you prefer? <laughs> I mean, the cheaper one. Because <laughs> it's a dollar more to stay in California. But in Cali, you get to drink. Right. Which is why that extra dollar is good. Mm-hmm. I'd pay the extra dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say. Well, I don't know. If you could just. If you could pay the same amount, if you could pay a dollar less, but then just walk into California and drink. Yeah, you are allowed to use the California amenities if you stay in Nevada. (laughs) So if you stay in Nevada, you can still drink. You just have to be in out of your room, which stopped me from bringing in a a glass, I guess. (laughs) Also, the let me guess, you're also the bartender. (laughs) Uh, Our poor Miles is the. He is the jack of all trades for this hotel. Again, played play wonderfully by mm-hmm. by Pullman. I don't think there's a bad performance to be had in this movie. No, I'd agree. Definitely. I think everyone in this is definitely at the top of the game. Again, solo cast, like I said. And also, I love the fact that uh, that Father Flynn does flip a coin to decide whether he's going to stay in room four or five. <laughs> Got the wrong one. Yes, he did. Yep. I mean, it works out. <laughs> and then we hear the rooming of a very loud car and we are introduced to Emily's summer spring and Dakota is iconic in this yeah. movie <laughs> she really is she's so good in this movie she plays such a bitch <laughs> like she is having nothing to do with anybody she could give no fucks whatsoever and like, I mean, you can understand why when you get to what she's. What I am she's obsessed with every single acting choice Dakota makes in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, she's spectacular. I mean, just yeah, just the uh, the layers she adds to the role, and just oh my, and again, so charming. So charming. She is. She's just immensely charming. Like even when she's like, she's basically saying "fuck you" to everyone. She's just so charming about Sometimes it. Sometimes literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, we get the little shaming of of Darlene with when he, she's picking out her room and Laramie's like, she doesn't want to be near the priest, Miles. It's not like we didn't see her walking in here with her own bedrolls on her arms. 
no judgment on you there, darling. Maybe you could talk to the father here about Mary Magdalene and forgiveness and what law. And I think he's such an asshole. Yes. (laughs) And Cynthia Revo just takes her keys and leaves. She gets the last laugh. Yeah, she's very uh, gracious about the situation. And Emily tries to take the honeymoon suite, which I always thought funny. She's like, that one. (laughs) And the look Miles gives Laramie is just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I come on. Didn't you see my accoutrement? (laughs) Also, the word accoutrement is not used enough in everyday speak. They use it enough in this movie. I will say it's just the right amount to still be funny without getting it. Like, if they had said it one more time, it would have been annoying. Accoutrement. Accoutrement. It's such a a silky little word. It's something that I feel like would come out of Fraser Crane's mouth. It is a word that would come out of Fraser Crane's mouth. (laughs) And Clayton has never seen Fraser. I have not. Not even a single episode. Damn. Oh, yeah, damn. I know. I have that exact reaction every time I have to think about that. Movie. I have also never seen an episode of Seinfeld. <gasps> okay, oh, I grew up oh. without TV, and oh. I just never felt like going back and watching these sitcoms that ran Clayton. for 15 years. Clayton, 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 Clayton. <laughs> I know. I He's watched a Friends. Sad... <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I think you watched something. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did Ew. Yeah, Friends is the worst. They are literally the worst. Like, they are. I hate. I. This will probably. I identify so much with Courtney Cox in Friends. It's not even funny. (laughs) I mean, it has a good cast at the very least. I just yes, but like everyone in it is kind of annoying in my opinion. And like, I just never like, especially Ross. I think Ross is just one of the most non-funny characters I've ever seen on TV. And, like, I just never found him funny, even when I was a kid. But I will agree with him. They were on a break. They were. I'm sorry. They were, they they were on, on a break. break. I actually I'm, do. I'm just putting that out there. I actually do agree, yes. I do. Yeah. Like, they were on a break. She called it. She doesn't get to decide what he does when they're on the break. Nope. And it does not matter on timeline who gives a shit. Would I be butthurt? Probably a little bit, but I also called it. So, I do have to give him that one. And that is the only amount of grace that character will ever get. Because I cannot watch it without wanting to melt his face in a pie. That was very specific. (laughs) See, I'm not the vicious vicious. one, Arthur. I know you think I'm the (laughs) horrible one, but Sean, like, he wants people to lose their insurance from being bad drivers and have their rates go up. (laughs) I just want their rates, like... And he wants Ross to be made into a pie and eat him his face specifically well see I feel like raw face knows. is just gross <laughs> i'm secretly the nice one i feel like sean was was sean just a little less vicious on the dust note podcast when we were talking about how we used to dust note if we did use it <laughs> yes but I sean was, is yes. also the one who said he was happy when misa killed herself at the end because she finally shut the fuck up <laughs> oh. That's yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you you like you weren't thinking it. Shut up. <laughs> didn't like, say it. <laughs> <laughs> you only said finally someone said it. No, I just like I said, I think the character 
not to go back to that one but i thought the character of misa like they did they just didn't flesh her out right for me so by the time they were done with her it was just it that character was over I can, I can understand even if i i have some some fondness for misa along you know even if you know some writing flaws for a character but still fondness yes she does she does have flaws and i did i like her character more than i think clayton did but yes. like by the end of it they just completely they i don't know they just don't make her she's such a non-entity by the end that you're just like oh yeah misa <laughs> oh pardon me <laughs> Ooh, pick up, pick up time. But yeah, the, a non-entity. I would have to agree with that. Just like yeah, the way that like, oh, push her out of the situation, focus more on light and Mia and all that crap. Well, not only just lighten, but it's also the one girl who runs the the his channel. Like um, I can't remember her name for the life of me. The news anchor. Um, okay, I don't remember her name either. But the, the news anchor. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so. the news anchor. Exactly. So like when it like the fact that she becomes like kind of a big character towards the end of it it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me like mm-hmm. you have a character here that you've watched go from the beginning to the end and nope oh <laughs> back to bad times at the Elroy Al <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Death Note because all the it's still in my brain. <laughs> so, uh, John Hamm gets his deserved room one, and we get a little bit of John Hamm's story. Yes, he is a FBI agent. So many wiretaps. Oh my god, the wiretap scene. I always forget how long this goes. Everywhere. Well, it's like everywhere. 26 of them. <laughs> We also get a glimpse of the TV and hear something about a massacre in Malibu. It will be important. Yes, pin that in your memory. John Hamm realizes the room is not as big on the inside as it seems to be on the outside, and he goes to investigate and find some creepy-ass tunnels since Miles is passed out, shot up with heroin in the back. Can relate. Yeah, poor Miles. Miles oh. is a deeply flawed character, and I really enjoy his character. Like, I feel bad for him. Me too. Yeah. And uh, in these tunnels, there are double mirrors looking into all the rooms in your hotel. Creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. What does he see, Sean? Well, he sees Father Flynn digging up the floor, which <laughs> I love how how quiet is he being? <laughs> like, well, he didn't have the speaker what? on for for him. No, I know, but oh. like I I feel like uh, Darlene would have noticed him just like why is there construction going on next door? Like, what is this priest doing? <laughs> well, she was singing. She had her stuff up, so maybe the sound was muffled, and maybe he was doing it very quietly. Well, but no, but when she starts singing, he looks at the wall like a petrified man. <laughs> Just stares at it. Hmm. Maybe a so, like, maybe. I don't know. That was my, That is one part of this movie that I'm just like, uh, did she not notice? <laughs> like, he's clearly doing it the minute 
the minute he got in the room, like, did she just not notice while she's putting up? She's like, oh, they're being loud. They should turn their TV down. Not that any of them have TVs. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're all just, uh, they all have their own shit going on, so they're not paying that much attention to each other. That is very true. Maybe. Maybe it's uh, secluded in their own environment. Yeah. Drone shit. And, yep. And we see Darlene Sweet, who has put up the bed rolls that Laramie called, and they are actually noise mufflers, so she can practice her singing for her gig. And, and for us to just be able to hear Cynthia Erivo sing because it's gorgeous. She's such a good singer. She's so fantastic. She really is. It's like I was like when I was watching the movie, I was like, "Damn! Like this singing is is stunning. It's mesmerizing." Mm-hmm. She's so good. Um, and we then we see Emily, uh, dragging a. I can't remember the word. A girl, woman, female person. <laughs> I was gonna say trust up <laughs> like she was tied up um <laughs> yes girl um and tie her to a chair and Laramie's just like what the shit <laughs> as was I as we all were yeah and also the shot where uh Dakota looks at the mirror and Dwight is like staring back at her and it looks like they're almost looking at each other such a good shot oh my yes yes that that was that was kind of unnerving to watch it's just like oh okay giving me a bit of shield here and and also i must note what is it with with drew goddard and these two-way mirrors and people spying on each other right? it also happens in the cabin in the woods this voyeurism it is a creepy idea though because a mirror is something that's kind of a private thing and the thought of someone just looking at you from the other side, that's just, it's creepy. Isn't there, isn't it if you push your, put your finger against one, and if your finger reflects, and it's a two-way mirror, or it doesn't reflect? No, if I it doesn't. I can't remember. I think it's if it. Sure. Either way, I still do that in hotels. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it means, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Honestly, it's supposed to do, but I do it, and I feel safe. <laughs> yeah, you're looking for a show? Um, no, I'm just... <laughs> I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. Terrifying. <laughs> yes. And this, I think you're absolutely right. This movie is constructed so, so incredibly. From the production design to just even the shot composition. Everything in this is just done so well. Yeah, and just like the way the story's laid out and the information is giving out at just the right pace and just fast enough that you're not getting frustrated by what is going on and it's just so satisfying the whole entire way Mm -hmm. and after seeing what everyone's been doing uh dwight goes to the phone booth and reveals that he's an fbi agent colin hoover himself yep sounded like he said colin hoover for a second (laughs) (laughs) it was like (laughs) Mean, Who's Colin Hoover? <laughs> you mean J. Edgar? <laughs> yes, J. Edgar, not Hoover. I was like, Colin Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> Colin J. Ever- Edgar Hoover. <laughs> um, and then we get back to Darlene's backstory. Yeah, room five. Yes. And we find out that Darlene used to be a backup singer who Xavier Dolan... 
propositions and threatens to make her a star, but only on his terms. <laughs> I threaten Oof. you. I'm going to make you a star, damn it, and you're going to like it. Yeah, but it's what oh. she has to do to get to it. and that's It the... was just funny the way you said it. He threatens to make her a star. <laughs> he does. Yeah. She has to it deal with a... Spider-Man. It's more of a... It's a threat. threat of like, I'll make you a star if you... But if you don't, you're going to be begging for the opening slot on Pancake Night in Reno. <laughs> that's the threat. <laughs> Actually, there's other dialogue here. It's good dialogue, especially. You know how much your time is worth, Charlie? Twelve dollars a session. Twelve dollars a session. This is why people need to be paid more. Yeah, pay the writers, Hollywood. Pay your actors. You know. Pay, pay, pay them. Yes. Um. But yes, and then. Darlene has struck out on her own, and that's why she is now singing in Reno. I'm not yeah. sure if it's Pancake Night or not. I don't know. Pancakes do sound kind of good, though, don't they? Yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm even not a pancake fan, fan, but honestly, I just got the munchies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the munchies, Father Flynn comes over to Darlene's room to proposition her with dinner. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> I love her. I love him asking her, how are you, fe- are you, how are you feeling tonight? She said, definitely not eat that sandwich, Lucky. That sandwich is probably so damn old. I am, uh-huh. I am not that high. My munchies are not convincing me to eat that sandwich either. So good choices all around, Darlene. <laughs> <laughs> but they went for the pie. <laughs> I do. I love the fact that they go for the pie. Yeah. Pie and whiskey. Nutri- Nutrition champions. Yep. And I, you, we learn a little bit of Darlene, and he asks, learns that she is a struggling singer, and Father Flynn asks her, "Why, why do you do it all? Why do it at all?" You know, and I she, ask myself the same question sometimes. Singing, singing. Yep. And we learn a little bit about Father Flynn and his memory is starting to go mm-hmm. or is really on its way out. Yeah, it's not like starting to go. It's it's a kind of a problem at this point. Yep. He's down to pass. Yes. And I there's a line in this I really love and it's strangest feeling, you know. You look around and you're someone else and you don't know who that is. It'd be so scary. Mm-hmm. I know. It's... It, it, it's it's heartbreaking, yeah. Just heartbreaking moments in this movie. It is like, and that's one of the things you, because the more you learn about these characters, the more they are. Some of them aren't great people, but it's moments like this that make them human, and makes them like incredible. Like they're just regular people, just like yeah. you and me. He's an yeah. armed robber with a heart of gold and maybe some Alzheimer's slash dementia. Yeah, oh, get... I always took it as he was it Alzheimer's or was it? I thought he had like brain cancer because oh. he has like. Well, Alzheimer's will kill you, Sean. Well, yes, I know that. I always... Eventually, I I just assumed maybe like Alzheimer's, yeah, or dementia. Yeah, I assumed it was late stage Alzheimer's since that kills you, and they're like, well, you've got this amount of time. Because brain cancer, I feel like, would have different effects than just your memory. 
from yeah, my maybe. doctor opinion and my own opinion with the cancer that was 100% not in my brain. So I really don't know a lot about it. But that's my guess. I just have always assumed it was Alzheimer's. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He's old. He's dying. He's forgetting who he is. And he is not looking for pithy. Pithy. That's the part that makes me really sad is when he can't even say pity, even when he realizes he's not saying it right. Yep. Uh, but Darlene is feeling bad for him, so she decides to take him up on his offer of a drink. And he goes to drug her, and she smashes the bottle over his head. Mm-hmm. Her radar was going off, and listen to your gut, people. Yeah. Yes. That beat, that beat just shocked me because I was like, okay, yeah, he's gonna drag her. But then when she came up behind him, I was like, oh, okay, that was almost like, almost like a jump scare. Dude, I wish I could watch this again for the first time. Oh, it was yeah. so much fun. And just watching this story unfold, like I'm low-key jealous that you got to do it. <laughs> I love revisiting it and it's very rich and rewarding on rewatches, but just not knowing where the story was going and all the weird little twists and turns and just how out of left field everything seems. But, you know, when you watch it, it's so carefully laid out and constructed and just all fits together and uh, it's wonderful. I love it. No, the way it all fits together. And then by the end, it's like, yeah, you know, like they're talking for about the humanity of these characters, you know, it gets you to connect with them, even if, you know, most of them are, you know, criminals and you you connect with them. And it almost... I would almost compare it to kind of like a, a Tarantino sort of thing, you know, just like having these stories evolve around these, these criminals, these, these, these rascals, these scoundrels, but you get to bond with them over time. Yes, absolutely. They're a bunch of rapscallions. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to throw the You just wanted to say rapscallions, it's I fine. did, I did, I did. No judgment. <laughs> We cut to Washington, D.C. and hear some more about what John Hammond's talking to Colin Hoover. (laughs) 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 Talking to Jay Edgar about and like, hey, you know, I know I'm supposed to be checking for surveillance, but kind of looks like there's a kidnapping going on. And should I do something about it? And they are like, absolutely not. Nobody's leaving. And so he disables the cars and will decide to do something else. Yes. He's explicitly told, do not interfere. And, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if he wouldn't have, who knows what might have happened. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we're in room seven, which is Emily Summerspring's room, or also known as... A.K.A. Dakota Johnson. (laughs) Dakota Johnson section of the story. Yeah. A.K.A. fuck you. (laughs) Which is what she writes down in the ledger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when we meet Rose Billy and Lee. Billy Lee, and this is Chris Hemsworth is so good in this. He's so he has never been hotter than this in his life. I don't know. He's pretty hot in general, but like this one is he is he just has <laughs> hot that take, Sean. Chris Hemsworth attractive question. <laughs> <laughs> what a fiery take! Yeah, well, I was gonna say. No one has ever found Chris Hemsworth attractive. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was gonna say all the people who like Thor was they just like his hair. <laughs> but yeah, you there's just such an effortlessly he reminds me of like a cobra in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's very much like 
he's like a sinewy beauty like strength but also like there is like deadly deadly Deadly. there is venom dangerous yeah exactly and from the first time far away from him as possible he is a fugly slut he's all kinds of bad (laughs) um luckily this movie does not call him a fugly slut no as much as i love it mean girls that is going to stay well in the 2000s um but yes we we meet billy lee and a sad looking rose and he guesses where she's from and he invites her to come skinny dip yeah he does and we see his little booty from behind (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's all it's out of focus and yeah it's enough i'm i'm happy with it (laughs) <laughs> I suppose, but uh, it's, it's nothing like seeing Matt McConaughey spot several times in Serenity. Oh, you watch Serenity. You're brave. <laughs> I mean, Recently, I've seen Matthew McConaughey it was in various drive. states of undress quite a few times, but um, did not watch Serenity. That looked uh, looked like it was a movie that was made. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a wild, wild ride. Wow. Wow. So bad, but also kind of funny and entertaining. Isn't that the one that's like, it's him and Anne Hathaway or something? Yes. Him and Anne Hathaway. Mm. And Jeremy Strong is there for a bit role. Oh, good old Kendall. Oh, love him. Yeah. um, I just think that Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway seems like such a weird fix. I never watched it. I just and I I like both of them. I'm fine with watching them in a movie. I just don't know if I'd watch them in a movie like together together. So that kind of weirds me out a little bit. They were they, they were I don't know. Like I wasn't I wasn't rooting for them. It's like oh yes they have such burning chemistry together. But you know what? They're all right. It's like they're all right. You know they're good. You know and and then and they're like they're, you know they're they're pretty decent and serenity. It's just oh my god! I forgot they were in Interstellar together. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Well, they're not really like lovers. In no, that, no, they're not. Like, they're Are they lovers like, in Serenity? I don't know the plot. I just remember yes. everybody said it was awful. They're like ex, they're like ex lovers. Yeah, no, I just I it, like I like their relationship in Interstellar because it's kind of not to break up Interstellar again. <laughs> Who would have known? Interstellar. Bad How much are we going to talk about Interstellar? <laughs> talk about it more. <laughs> This is eventually becoming a two-part It's got Timothy Chalamet in it, and I don't even care. <laughs> um, it's much better than you're saying, but... I know, Interstellar it, is, like, really good. Yeah. <laughs> just, just that like, final, final reveal just annoys me. Yeah, it, it is a little bit heavy-handed, but that's okay. It's The rest of it is so good. I can, Christopher I can... Nolan, heavy-handed? What? I know, what? nobody ever... Shocking. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever accused him of being such a thing. Um, but yeah, we learn how Billy Lee and uh, and Rose met, and then we learn that Rose is Emily's sister, who she has kidnapped away from Billy Lee. Yeah. To get him away from his cult. And now at this point, now it's like, oh, okay, so now we can kind, we can understand where Emily's coming from. This isn't just some, oh, did she like just kidnap some stranger or some person she wants to rob money from or something like that? It's like, okay, like we can we can see her viewpoint, we can see what's what's going on, 
And also, mm-hmm. when, when Rose first hopped up, I actually saw that was a young Emily at first, but then that was actually on the beach. Yeah, I, oh, it's so good. Now the pieces are all in place, and uh, John Hamm does not listen to his superiors and uh, nope. decides no. to try to intervene. <laughs> I just love her talking to him in the door and just being like, I'm fine. Fuck, Fuck off. off. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, she's so spunky. <laughs> Um, but Dwight breaks into their hotel room and knocks down Dakota, Emily, um, and unties Rose. And this is my first shot. The first sign you see that Rose is a fucking nut job. She's fucking insane. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. And she's like, terrifying. She, she unties him and she's just like, great. <laughs> and then, like, she's talking to him and here's this man. And uh, Emily pulls out her shotgun. And tells her, Rosie, get away from him. And she just like, whoop. <laughs> like this man just technically saved her. And she's just like, shoot him. <laughs> like, and, she, and then he gets shot. And he that's does the end. get shot. And that's the end of Laramie Seymour Sullivan, mm-hmm. Dwight Broadback. <laughs> and I... I thought he might, he might like survive this at first. I was like, oh, he's not gonna be killed off this fast, is he? But then it's like, oh, no, he was killed off that fast. And as much like, of an asshole as he was, it's like, oh, I, like, I felt bad for him. Like, he, like, he's going in here, like, he, he thinks, like, Rose is in danger here. He's got to save her, he, and he's got to stop a whole criminal operation. And it's like, oh, he gets shot. And instead, like, everyone gets killed in this because of this choice he makes. <laughs> right. No, that, is, uh, that is also important to know. Like, if he uh, would have just... Someone was behind the glass, and we hear cry out because they got shot when she shoots him, and the glass shatters, and it's like, oops, there's a oh. tunnel back there, but we're not going to tell you what happens right now. Nope, we're going to back to Father, Father Flynn. Flynn. I was about to say Doc, Kel- Doc O'Kelly, but he's still Father I Flynn. know, I love that you keep calling him Doc O'Kelly, even Doc though O'Kelly. he is- because he gets called that like three times in the entire movie. The rest of it's Father Flynn, and you're choosing that one. And then in the notes, I kept cracking up. She kept calling John Ham Dwight, and I'm like, where is he even getting Dwight? No one is calling him this the entire movie. I was like, I know they say Agent So and So, but I'm like, is it just Dwight in the credits or something? Like, why? He literally says this is, this is a Special Agent Dwight Broadback. Mm. Well, I okay. So here's the thing: I didn't remember his name was Dwight, his first name, until I looked him up in the credits. So I just kept thinking of him as both Laramie and Broadback. <laughs> He's Larabeck. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh he got a family too. He got a family too, and I felt bad for his, for his family. Well, unfortunately, he tries to do the good thing, and it doesn't work out for him this time. No. But yes, uh, Father Flynn. We are back to Father Flynn. And... Who we last saw unconscious on the floor of the lounge because Darlene busted him in the head with a bottle. Yep. And Miles finds him. And I love how I love that he's like, Father. And he uh, Father Flynn's just like, I'm not your father. he has completely forgot who the fuck he's supposed to be right then and there (laughs) and then him trying to explain miles i fell down i'm old shit happens happens. get the whiskey whiskey. (laughs) 
And we also find out Miles is from Indiana, too. We yes. don't find out where, though, sadly. He seems kind of south. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We're from there, so we could say it. Yeah. <laughs> and we start the little through line, or the through line, of Miles trying to confess to Father Flynn that he's done horrible things and. He says, I told you this wasn't a good place, Father, and ends up showing him the tunnels with the with the two-way mirrors and reveals that he has a... Sometimes he has to film things for his management and mm-hmm. send it off if somebody special is coming. And we get a little nugget of a story about someone famous who you'd know who they wanted to get a film from him and he didn't send it because he said he was kind to me. No one's ever kind to me. So I told them there was no woman in his room and uh, this would probably be a pretty lucrative film to have. And yes. uh, the priest is like, the Lord wants me to tell you where the film <laughs> wants you to tell me where the film is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Miles. He just, he has such a right in this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, just dealing with so much, and what he what he has witnessed here. Uh, oh my god, that's El Royale. And again, the pieces are just falling together. So while Father Flynn is looking for this incriminating film, Miles is watching what's unfolding in Emily and Rose's room, and John Hamm busting in there, and he's just freaking out, like, "What the fuck do I do?" and gets uh shot in the face and dakota johnson delivers an excellent line reading of jesus fucking christ (laughs) (laughs) and then it switches perspectives again and we see what happened to darlene after she popped the good father in the face yes and darlene gets the fuck out of there sans shoes because she was very intelligent and took off her heels so that way she mm-hmm. wouldn't make a noise no jurassic world ridiculous heel running in this movie nope. goes to <laughs> goes to that's that... <laughs> you always bring up that as ridiculous i just think she feels empowered in her shoes and all right I sean <laughs> i'm gonna get you some heels in your size take you out to a jungle area and tell you to run Wait, you know what? see you what happens like... to those eels and to the heels in the soft earth. You think that's a thoughtful Sean and Jurassic World? Yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard did it. You know, Sean, you're always saying how you are practically hmm. a genius. And yeah. you think no, it is not. possible to run in uh, those shoes. Bryce Dallas Howard I... did do that on the pavement, but she was not running through the jungle in those heels. They totally switched them out for filming they just didn't tell us and we see her in the heels sometimes and it's just <laughs> it's impossible it is literally physically impossible to run in that type of earth in those heels I you would so. fall yeah. flat backwards because your heels would just sink right in and you'd be like whoop well she's never running through the jungle in the movie she's always walking <laughs> I feel like she runs a few times nope she walks. I wish I could remember specifically because I was not. I haven't seen that movie. She in legitimately years. walks because she walks. They walk to the spot where the they they see all the dinosaurs and the, all the dead dinosaurs, and then they are, have walked over to the point where 
the old where the old facility was and then the next time you see them they're back on pavement so you never get to see her running in the jungle i will take your word for that i feel like you're wrong but i will just have to take your word for it because i don't want to watch it again because fun fact i gave jurassic world two and a half stars on letterboxd if you want to know my feelings toward that film we're going to cover it on the podcast one day see this is great because usually it's clayton torturing me so every once in a while i get my comeuppance well i like to give him his comeuppance i should say <laughs> oh uh it's not anytime soon but i will spring it on him eventually jurassic world <laughs> yes it's the second worst movie in the entire franchise <laughs> Okay, well, well you're saying yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's saying a lot yeah. considering uh, there's also Dominion. Don't forget Dominion. Uh, D- <laughs> Dominion is the worst film of the franchise, followed by probably yeah. Dominion's the worst. Jurassic three. World's the second worst. The second yeah. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, is the next one up in the ranking, followed by controversial. I know. Jurassic Park The Lost World then I like Jurassic Park 3 and then the first one I know I do I enjoy Jurassic Park 3 more than The Lost World uh, Taylor Leone just screams so much in that movie I haven't seen I, have, I haven't seen those two Jurassic Park sequels in a while damn it oh. so 2 is really good until the last half hour um, I hate I, the end of it. Yeah, the yeah. end of it just doesn't work. I can't work stand for Jeff Goldblum's well. daughter. I love Julianne Moore. Aww. I hate that they're making jokes while they're about to die hanging off a cliff. I just, there's so much in that movie I don't like. It some does have some use, really good sequences, though. Some people use Homer as levity, okay? Some people I mean, I do it all the time, but it still just it feels so out of place. I don't know. But first one, amazing. <laughs> Absolute Stone Cold classic. Three is yeah. very fun. Two is pretty good. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, I like because it's scurry. And then the last two, I just... mm -mm. (laughs) I love how Jurassic Park 3, where a dinosaur literally looks at It is a dream sequence. It is a dream sequence. Alan! (laughs) And that is the movie you take as number two. I don't give a fuck if it's a dream sequence. Zero amount of fucks. It is... The most bullshit bananas camp shit I've ever seen. Okay, it's both like, that, and then also it's a communicator to have too. General yes. communication device. Ugh, that fucking phone survives being digested by a dinosaur? Think about the time period when that came out. I had a cell phone. <laughs> you think your that Nokia could have survived in your stomach? No. Those Nokias can survive anything. I watched, I dropped my phone out of a car window one time. It got run over by a semi on the highway, and that thing didn't have a scratch. What? What? Yeah. I mean, yes, that is a thing with Nokias. But that's, a, there is such a thing as acid, and acid dissolves things, especially it the ones in your stomach. You know? It was in life a life proof case. How it had to be in oh my god, don't even start. Uh, I, it had to be in it was in that freaking dinosaur for three quarters of the movie. So, Sean, like, I have to ask in Indiana coming. Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, if Indiana Jones had instead climbed into a giant Nokia phone rather than 
the lead-lined refrigerator, would you have found it more believable that he survived the nuclear blast? No! <laughs> I would I'll, I'll have to say no as well. Like, Honestly, I, yeah. Not, it's not just the fact that he... Like, I can deal with the fact that, like, his body survives that, but A, he would be flung around so crazily that he'd be broken, and B, he would have <laughs> boiled... <laughs> he would have boiled. Like it's not like it's like oh it's only hot right here. No, that heat is everywhere. If it is far enough for it to throw you, it is enough to kill you. <sighs> Sorry, I love um, not that. that. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even angry. <laughs> Getting a little shrill there, Sean. Uh, anyway, nah, back to bad times. Uh, tell me about Darlene being the moral center. No, Darlene is definitely the moral center of this movie. That's why I said most of most of the characters are criminals. The few I, the few who are not are her and then Laramie. I mean, right. Darlene does. I well, Laramie just completely disregards a direct order from the well, head of okay. the FBI. Okay. So true, true. that's a little naughty. True. And Darlene does agree in a little bit to help get some stolen money and take it so i don't think she's squeaky clean okay right okay well and also and also you're saying that laramie uh laramie doesn't have like he's the disregarding of the direct order is what actually puts him back towards morality because any moral person would be like they're being kidnapped like i should help them i mind my own business Yeah, that's why you'd be a better J. Edgar Hoover than I would, I guess. <laughs> okay, Colin. Calm it down. <laughs> Colin, Colin Clayton yes, Hoover. My real name is actually Colin Hoover, descendant of famed J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, my hair is so big because it's full of secrets. <laughs> bringing it back to Mean Girls. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of callbacks. Uh, <laughs> yes, but we, I mean, I just, the character of Darlene is just really is the moral center of the movie. And like I said at the beginning, this is the, like, Father Flynn helps her across her, her moral, her moral? I cannot talk. Her moral, <laughs> stop. Wow, wow. did he perish? Moira, moira. Uh. I hate this podcast. <laughs> Are you going to just talk uh, like Moira Rose the rest of the time? Because that'd be kind of fun. Please don't, though, actually. but <laughs> Lord, I need your guidance. I'm in <laughs> darkness, and I need your light. <laughs> David, stop acting like a disgruntled pelican. It is Alexis, my <laughs> stop petty fogging. <laughs> Those um... are my two favorite lines. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, good old shit's yes. Darlene, okay. while <laughs> while John Hamm is trying to save Rose from her dastardly sister, and Miles is watching from behind the two way mirror. On the other side, Darlene is watching what's going down from the parking lot. And... Well, this is also after she saw Dwight sabotage the cars mm-hmm. so she has tried to she's trying to get the shit out. she's trying to get the fuck out of there she's done yeah and uh ends up following him to to the summer spring room and uh while dakota johnson's a little bit preoccupied being like what the fuck there's a two-way mirror <sighs> rose 
Uh, Rose calls Billy Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when that happened, and, I was like, yeah, I think I think Billy Lee is coming in at this point. When he, when he made that call. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Yep. Well, and it just shows how she just does not give a shit about anybody but Billy Lee. He is the only thing that matters to her. She is dickmatized completely. Right. And then Emily ends up pulling her. She comes through the mirror with Emily to go and uh, see that it's Miles. (laughs) Um, And And Darlene takes this opportunity to very intelligently go and retrieve the car part. And And his gun and Laramie's gun. And she goes back to her car, tries to get it started. It's still not starting. And Father Flynn pops up again and said, asks if he can just talk to her. <laughs> just talk. And she, She's like, I will shoot I you just, in the face. Believe, and then she says, believe me. And he's like, I believe you. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm not really a priest. Yeah, yeah no, no shit. shit. Always gets me too. <laughs> And then we get a priesty flashback, room four. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny because we actually have two X Files stars in this movie. Um, what does X Files have to do with room four? I just thought this was fun because this <laughs> no, was. When... It is fun. It was, I was like room four, and you're like, which is funny because two X Files. <laughs> I thought you were connecting it to the number four, and I was like, how? How does this work? I've watched all the X Files. Did I miss something? Yes question everything and that's the whole point of the show <laughs> you know the x-files was right though <laughs> aliens are out there i know yes yes the government is confirming it for us now well i mean you know even years ago we my did. question that's, is do they ago. have good health care though that's my wonder like can we get can oh. we go yeah as long as it's not a to serve man situation we'll be able to you guys know to see serve man right taken from the silence that blinking blankly at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's an episode of the twilight zone called to serve man never seen the twilight zone Same oh. <gasps> oh it's so good like if you're looking for brilliant writing the twilight zone was very there are very few misses lots of hits you know i could have gone with the twilight zone or doctor who and i picked doctor who so i'm working through that the twilight zone probably not going to happen unless someone wants to suggest like all-time great episodes and then i will just like this is one of them this is considered one of them and in this episode aliens come to our planet and they have a book and a book they the aliens give us a book and it is kind of them a book we could have given us an ozone layer but a book that'll work (laughs) (laughs) it's a death note a death note kind of book so they give us a book and it's they only are able to translate the first words that on the title is to serve man and they assume that they are here for good and they end war and they end famine and they end genocide and the world becomes a utopia and they invite people to come back to their planet well it turns out that to serve man isn't something isn't exactly what it is it is a cookbook that's hilarious see they should have had amy adams trying to translate this shit um it's a really well done episode 
Yes, but we do have two X-Files stars in this movie. And this is when we see one of them is at the start of Room 4. Rebecca Tulin, who plays Mulder's mother, um, is Hoover's secretary. And the other one is the judge at, at Father Flynn's trial. Yes, actually, we, we, we don't, don't. We see Hoover's secretary at another portion in the movie, not at Room 4. But this is when we do get William B. Jones. And I'm like, yay, cigarettes. Oh, yeah, this is... This is when you get, sorry, I have it written down here, but you, this is when you do see the cigarette smoking man. The best character aside from Dana Scully and all of the X-Files. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Dana Scully is the best ca- character, so. I still need to watch X-Files. Oh, it's so good and so bad and everything in between, but it is quite an experience. Highly recommend. Do it. It is. There's a lot of really good ones. There's a lot of really bad ones, but it's it doesn't meet. There's a lot of really weird ones. <laughs> yeah, and I love the weirdness. Give it to me. Yes. Yeah, the myth X Files mythology stuff is the weakest, but when it's just like the thing of the week, is generally it's stronger stuff, and most of the really good stuff is probably in the first two thirds of the series. Yeah, I would agree. I think everything past like season five is. It's a little rough, but it is a good, it does go. And even the, the revival is good. So yeah, enjoy the revival. Lauren Ambrose is in it. Mm-hmm. Which I really wish they would have made like x I know I would watch that spinoff. I would have been fun, but I would, I would have switched their roles. So had her be the believer and had Robbie, uh, Robbie Amell as the mm, so skeptic. Pretty. Yes. So pretty. Both of them. Um, but yes, we are at, Daco Kelly's trial, and we learned that he was a bank robber, and Daco Kelly is of course Father Flynn, who was caught while sending his brother Felix, who was Nick Offerman in the beginning, to hide the money at the El Royale, and he's been in prison for ten years. Ten years, and learns losing his memory, getting into fights with the Mexicans. Yes. Um, and I did, uh, watching this with subtitles, I did laugh that it literally spelled out Mexicans instead of Mexicans because he can't remember the word for it. <laughs> not a good guy. Little detailed. No, he is not a good guy. No, no. Um, also, and we have a nice little Shea Wiggum. Uh, I love when Shea Wiggum pops up. Me too. Me too. He's, He's in so Mission good. Impossible 7. Is he? Cool. Yeah. Oh, damn. Damn. Yeah, I just, yeah I've seen him pop up. And movies I've been watching watching lately, like Splinter and... Oh, I love Splinter. Yeah, that, that's a good one. It's a surprisingly entertaining one. It's like a tight movie, a good creature feature. Yeah, good practical Oh, facts. yeah. Clayton, have you watched Splinter? Splinter, Splinter, Splinter. Splinter, um, sorry, Parasite, was... Gas Splinter Station. Splinter what? It was a Parasite, Gas Station, Shea Wiggum. Oh, Paul, yeah, Jill yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Wagner, Paulo Costanzo. It... Oh wait, no! I'm thinking. I was thinking of Slither. I have not seen Splinter. <gasps> I'm adding that to the podcast. If we do Splinter, will you be on with us, yes. <laughs> Arthur? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. I actually, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Okay, I'm writing you down. I'm right. I'll, I'll, I'll write you down as tentative. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we see Shea Wiggum diagnose uh, Doc O'Kelly with whatever he's diagnosed with and we learn he's getting out on parole and in his story after his story 
we see him go there's a bunch of money i think there's a bunch of money in your room darlene and i need your help to get it (laughs) and i think that's that is a that is a line i i wish people would offer me (laughs) and it was just it was just chance too like oh if he just happened to go the other room yep exactly well and that's the thing is i i love that he uses the quarter that laramie had left there um if he was like flip a coin if you if you need if you want to for the room and he does he flips the coin so he could decide between four or five and the room of chance chose wrongly yep Also, I love the line from Darlene when she's when he's like, "How did you know?" And she's like, "Spend your life getting shook. You learn how to spot a shaker." <laughs> and I was like, "That's great." <laughs> yeah, she yeah she knows how to you know walk out everywhere. No, suspicious. Right. So Father Flynn is trying to convince Darlene to help let him tear up her room and for her to help him and. He kind of talks her into it by insinuating that she would probably get blamed for any of this in if the cops came. And I was just like, damn, even in the 60s, <laughs> like, yes. they would have done this shit. <laughs> yes, yes. Hold, yes. Holding the guilt and, the, you know, blame over, over like, you know, yeah, hey, you know, don't, don't blame you, you know, full on racism. Don't do that. Weaponize it. Right. It's just, and it is, but I mean, it does. It feels, it rings true. That is something oh, yeah, like, definitely. It, it's just something that people are still experiencing now, and it's sad. Father Flynn finally goes, if I'm right, I can walk out of here with enough money to change my life forever. Also, I love the <laughs> reoccurring, what is this, some kind of pervert hotel? <laughs> it cracks me up every time someone says it. <laughs> me too. And the fact that it's said more than once is just fantastic. <laughs> I want to say like three times. Uh, yes. So we are finally... Uh, Father Flynn has talked Darlene into helping him find the money. And we are to a tied up Miles and Emily and Rose, who is gallivanting through the lobby. And she... <laughs> He goes, you just shot me in the face. And she goes, well, now, let's be clear. I shot another man. Can I please do this one? (laughs) You've done all the rest of them. But yes. I love Dakota Johnson. This is is my favorite part of the entire movie. If I wanted to watch somebody to watch this, I'd be like, here, just watch this section. But yeah, he's all pissed off. Like, well, not pissed. I mean, he's pissed. But he just shot me in the face. And she's like, well, now, let's be clear. I shot another man who had it coming, and you just happened to be back there being creepy, and you caught a face full of buckshot for your trouble. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no notes. Yes. Dakota Johnson, I would die for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Followed by the, how does it look? And it's, to be honest, I don't remember what you looked like before this, but I think you should make peace with the fact that things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong. And also, I love that more than once someone tells somebody, oh, you got glass in your head. (laughs) (laughs) And there are so many, like, so many things get, like, 
repeated in this movie, but you don't expect them to be in different situations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and some, and I will admit, like some of these moments do just fly over my head. On again, on first watch, I feel like next time around I'll be able to appreciate them more. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time you watch this, I feel like you're just constantly caught off guard. Like, wait, this just took a wild left turn. I was not expecting. Yes, exactly. It does take a lot of wild turns, and that's what makes it so unpredictable. That's why I love this movie so much. Um, and we learn a little bit about, well, essentially, Miles is trying to say, like, keep himself from being murdered, <laughs> and he tells them some stories of guests at the hotel, like a senator who beat a whore so bad that. She had to use her stockings to keep her from bleeding out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. And a man who lied, who lay naked with a feral wolf. Full-grown feral wolf. Oh my God. Yes. And it's the, it wasn't sexual, but it wasn't not sexual either. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never told anybody that. Oh, I ain't so sure you should have told me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just... This was terrifying well, to watch. This, this scene, just hearing him talk about his stuff, and also a junkie who used his his poop to write "sorry" on the wall. Yeah, yes. as if that would make it better when I had to clean it off of his cold dead body. <laughs> yes, and we see, and Miles is just like, I don't even know your names. You can, you can, you can let me live. And Rose, that little bitch, is just like, I'm Rose. <laughs> and that's my sister emily you know how you were talking about that shot of dakota johnson looking apparently back at john ham in that scene yes this right here when dakota johnson looks at miles after he learns her name and he's just like fuck they're gonna kill me and she's just like looking at him with this mixture of sadness and resignation like it is stunning absolutely mm-hmm. stunning what she conveys with just like a glance in this moment love it it really is it's just fucking my exact note for this moment in my in my notes is just dakota fucking johnson <laughs> <laughs> appropriate appropriate and just like and rose i was i was like damn you rose damn you yeah. well and this is like this is to show that she's a little psychopath she really is like she is there to cause trouble. Yeah. And that's chaos. She's a complete is. agent of chaos. Exactly, yes. It's like, yeah, a Joker-esque kind of character. It's like, ah, I'm here to cause trouble for no reason. Just have fun. Yeah, she has, like, zero discernible motivations. She just... Except uh, for Billy Lee. Yeah, Billy Lee and his impressive V-cut. <laughs> Honestly, relatable. And she asks Miles his name, and she goes, well, it's nice to meet you, Miles. Yeah, and we start cutting back and forth between characters a little bit faster now, and we see what's happening with Darlene and the priest, because at this point, people have been getting shot. Dakota Johnson has had it up to here, and so she's like, where the fuck is everybody else that I know is here, because we all were in the lobby together. And uh, so she goes to check. Yep, and she sees... Well, Darlene starts with What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, which is one of my favorite songs. And then she removes her wig. And I think it, it's such a great moment because it makes Darlene so vulnerable. Because she, she takes off her armor. And 
she starts to sing you can't hurry love this is when it wasn't right right this is it mm-hmm. this yeah. is you mm-hmm. can't hurry love yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and start singing an acapella version of you can't hurry love and cynthia Revo just she should have been nominated for something for this movie because i think she's just so good in this oh just oh nobody in the academy saw it probably <laughs> i know probably probably but oh deserved deserved something some kind of acclaim here she's just incredible like like i said she she just imbues this role with just so much like heart and humanity and like all of them are very human but like i just i don't know there's just something i just inherently love about the character of darlene she she is timing her her claps to Father Flynn opening up the floor, and he manages to retrieve the money. He does. Uh, this is all during while Emily is debating whether she's going to kill her right then and now. And she's very concerned because she doesn't know where the priest is at, and so she found his little baggie of smack, and she's like, is this well, yours? Finds... Do you want it? Yeah, Miles, not the priest. Miles, not the priest. And yeah, like... <laughs> she's just like, where's the priest? And he's like, I don't fucking know. I'm sitting here shot in the face, got glass in my head. And uh, little fucking Demon Rose is just like, well, I told him we don't have to kill him. It's not up to us. And Emily realizes a moment too Rose, late. what did you do? And then we are introduced to a open-shirted, shoeless, wet. Billy Lee. Oh. Very wet. <laughs> and we are... Billy Lee comes in and says, Howdy. And then we are introduced to the chapter Billy Lee. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, so Emily goes to join with Rose and Yeah, we Billy get another Lee. little flashback. Yes, yeah. at, his, at their commune. And... Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna sound so stupid, but I never noticed the fully naked people behind behind Emily. Like I was about to dick. be shocked by that, but I don't know if I would have. Again, I saw this in theaters, so I've always just known it was there. Right. But if I had seen was... it on a smaller screen for the first time, I don't know if I would have noticed it. Arthur, did you notice the nudity? I uh, I actually did not. Honestly, did I was I don't know how it I don't know how it flew by me. So when you're talking about it right now, it's like oh. Nitty. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's like full on penis, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and boobs behind behind boobs. Emily. Boobs. The boobs. Um. But Billy Lee has a his little I don't know cult talk. <laughs> like yeah. It's culty so little hard. TED talk. It's culty TED talk, and uh, ends up goading. Rose and another woman, Millie, into fighting for him. And he yes. says, let's have ourselves an allegory. Mm-hmm. Beat each other half to death and whoever wins can come get it on with me. Yep. And Rose definitely wins. Because mm-hmm. she's a crazy little Didn't... bitch. I expected it. Yep. It's just like, yeah, she, she was going into just being all yeah, brutal in that fight. And it's, and it's, all, and it's also on the show. Like, yeah, it's an allegory of like, they're just, they're so distracted by participating in this fight, playing this game, that they're not paying attention to anything else. And doesn't right. like doesn't Billy Billy Lee like Billy Lee like 
steal something of yours or something like that. Bought it, yeah. bought it distracted, something. Yeah, and then he gets to have sex later. So patriarchy. Um, <laughs> Barbie yeah. is still very much in my mind. I'm sorry. And he <laughs> delivers the wonderful cult leader line. Maybe for tonight we get to be our own gods while he strikes a Jesus pose, arms out. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Where do I sign up? <laughs> you would. <laughs> Sean, has anyone ever had a better V cut than Chris Hemsworth in this film? I don't know. I mean, it is it is quite good here. Quite good, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, for V cut, yeah, it's probably Chris Hemsworth. Uh, no, I don't think anyone has had a better V than Chris Hemsworth in this movie. Well. I Although trust I have research. to say, Ryan Phillippe. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, I, I do think that he is number one. So yes, he does have positively probably the best V cut, V like V line in all of film, and they round up all of our all of our usual suspects and tie them all up. So yeah. you've got you imagine walking into this situation. He's just like, what is going on? People tell me. Well, he has to know. He wants to know everything. <laughs> I also love when Nosy he's little trying cult to... leaders. He needs the info. I love I love when he's he's trying to figure out who's who and he's like, You're Father Flynn. And he's like, You must be Darlene Sweet. Well, I suppose you could be fuck you, but something tells me that's my Emily here. <laughs> he knows her well. <laughs> he knows her oh so well. <laughs> He's familiar with that gussy vibe. Yep. And they have their, like, I just, I feel so bad for Emily here because you know she was just trying to rescue her sister. And her sister is not having any of this. And she, Billy Lee's like, did you really think you could get away? She's like, I thought I'd have more time. Like, I thought I'd be ready. And he goes, you don't look ready. Well, (laughs) Well, you caught me on a bad night. Yep. And then we have the, is this some kind of pervert motel? Yeah, I think it's some kind of pervert hotel. <laughs> Popping up again. He's questioning yes. things. They found the film. He's looking at it and he's like, is that who I think it is? And he's like, where did this money come from? And Darlene's like, fucking made it sing and dipshit. He's like, you must be one hell of a singer. I am. Um, And then he puts, he has... Rose put on some music and they play Deep Purple. <laughs> Father Flynn goes, It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I prefer the version of this song that's in I Know What You Did Last Summer Better Myself, but you know. <laughs> that's what I always think of it from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and na, Billy na, Lee. Na, 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 na. Yep. And Billy Lee dances a little bit. He does. He does have a little dance. I love it. So slithery. He asks Rosie, Rosie, are you mine? And she goes, of course. And that's all you need to know to know exactly whose side Rose is on. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the red or black scene. He decides to play a game of, is this roulette? It is. It is roulette. Okay, I don't gamble. That is a roulette wheel, Sean. I don't have money, so I've never gambled before. And you say you watch James Bond movies. 
Uh, I, that's what I thought, but I'm, I'm also exhausted, okay? It's been a long fucking day. Understandable, understandable. <laughs> but this is, and this is another moment of Shantia. Mm-hmm. It's like, with the coin. Well, exactly. And he allows, he allows them, he allows Emily to pick red or black. And tearfully, she picks red. And she chooses wrong. We also get the heartbreaking moment of Miles trying to repent and his, I have sinned, did I repent? And, and he thinks he's about have... to be shot any second. And they're like, you're going to tell him or am I? And she's like, he's not a fucking priest. And yeah. his poor face. Oh, he's so devastated. Uh, Miles. We get, we get to the end and Emily gets shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. And she dies while her sister watches. With completely um, dead eyes. Yep. Completely uh, emotionless. Uh, I felt horrible for Emily here. I was like, wait, she's dying here? No, no. I know. I Some people just don't time, want to be rescued. Yep. The first time I watched this, I was just like, oh my god. I really thought Emily was going to make it through the movie. And it is very surprising that they, they just straight up murder her right here <laughs> i know it's like yeah her death it's just like oh my god her death just just threw me for a loop oh yes we get to billy lee trying to trying to play with the minds of father flynn and darlene and ends up fine he had found the the film and asked darlene who's on it and she doesn't give a shit because it doesn't fucking matter to her Mm-hmm. And she does. She gives this the, her little outrage speech to him, to Billy, and I think this is one of my favorite moments of the film. So I'm gonna. It's read so it. good. She delivers it so well. And she goes, "Let me guess. It's some man who talks a lot. He talks so much that he thinks he believes in something, and really just wants to fuck who he wants to fuck. I've seen it enough. I'm not even mad about it anymore." I'm just tired. I'm just bored of men like you. You think I don't see you for who you really are? A fragile little man preying on the weak and lost. I've heard it. And I don't care. I'd rather sit here and listen to the rain. And Billy Lee is butthurt. He's so butthurt about it. I love it. He is so yes. butthurt. I love that fact. He is livid over this. It's, it's such a cathartic <laughs> little moment. Just like, because, you know, Billy, Billy Lee is, you know, he's trying to be so charming. So like, oh, yes, I'm going, you know, I'm the one in, in power here, the one in control. But then it's like, oh, no, he is pissed off. Right. And actually, Cynthia Revo helped to write this scene with, with Goddard because she, this, she said, this is the moment we have to give her a voice or it makes us seem like we're not trying to give her one at all. Oh damn! I love that. I love that. And I, this is just such—it's a powerful moment because you finally get to see Darlene and all of her strength just finally hit her fuck it, and she does. It's my favorite moment in people and characters' stories when they hit their fuck it moment. Yep, and then Father Flynn tries to reveal that he's not Father Flynn; he is. Someone he can't remember. And this is heartbreaking. Because he can't even remember who he really is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Hemsworth thinks he's just playing him. And she's like, no, he told me 
he has trouble with his memory. And he's like, oh, you believe him? She's like, that? Yes. Yes, I do. It's it really a sad thing to watch that. And the storm knocks out the power. And so Billy Lee demands her to sing. Sing and he'll give her a chance to live. Yep. Father Flynn says he's going to do what he's going to do, but he doesn't deserve to hear you sing. He threatens to kill Miles and Father Flynn, so she sings. And she sings Unchained Melody, which is another one of my favorite. This is in my like top five songs of all time. This movie has a wonderful soundtrack. This soundtrack is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Cynthia Revel sings it and gets about a third of the way through, and then Billy starts up the roulette wheel again. Says, I've heard better. I've heard better. Oh. <laughs> Dick move. And the only reason you know he did that because he's still butthurt about her comment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Father Flynn then start realizes it's now or never. So he headbutts Billy Lee and gets into a fight with him. When the guy when one of the cultists is about to shoot him, Darlene pushes her pushes her back and knocks her shot off. And they knock over the the roulette table and little Miles gets free and there's a gun in front of him and Darlene is like, Miles, help us. And he goes, I can't kill no more people. How many people have you killed, Miles? 123. And then we're at the maintenance closet portion of the movie. Yep. Miles gets his own little flashback. Yes. And we see that he was a sniper or sharpshooter in the korean war and ends up killing a lot of people Mm Hmm. only survivor and promises never to kill again yes we see father flynn is finally overpowered by rose and the rest of them and billy gets his licks in after (laughs) after the old man is is taken down and mile after darlene says it's okay. You don't have to kill any more people. Miles decides it's time to save him. And mm-hmm. he turns into the Terminator. <laughs> he does. He is <laughs> popping off people right and left. It is wonderful. Oh, yeah. I just love I love the look on Billy Lee's face when he realizes he's not in control right there. Mm-hmm. And I wish he would have shot him in the knee and then shot him in the head because he's much nicer than me. Um, <laughs> See? Sean's vindictive. I yeah, can be not vind- me. I, you want the punishment. The punishment. Yeah, for this one, maybe a little. I was going to say, Billy's kind of evil. He deserves it. Kind of evil. Yes. And he shoots Billy Lee in the head. He shoots the uh, another one of the cultists in the head. Another one shoots at him and then hides behind a bench. And he shoots through the bench and kills her, which is awesome. Yes. It really is awesome. Miles helps free Father Flynn and Darlene. And then Rose is sobbing over Billy Lee. Like, she is gutted. Yeah, and she has a feeling about that, of, I guess. Yep. And because Billy Lee's the only thing that mattered to her. And speaking of gutted, she takes Billy Lee's knife and she guts poor Miles, oh even though he was trying to save her. Mm-hmm. That, oh my God, watching that was so devastating. And also, like, pretty gruesome. Like, you also oh, sound design for this oh. as she was pushing the knife through his stomach. Yeah, and then she, like, she she literally is moving it through him like yeah. she's 
twisting it on the thigh. And it's shown that she has already murdered people before. Yes, so that this Malibu is not... massacre that we've seen a couple times in the film. I think we only mentioned it once in discussion, but we see a couple things on it on TV. Yeah. But yeah, she uh, slaughtered a few people with a yep. knife because she cray cray. Yep. And then Father Flynn finally puts her out of her damn misery when she's nicer than me. <laughs> I also would have probably shot her in the knees. Oh, Sean. And what? I probably would have dragged her out. I'm like, if you shot her in the knee, that bitch is crazy enough. She'd, yeah. I... She'd have to crawl towards me. I got enough time. Are you sure? Mm. Are you sure? Yeah. If not, she's getting another one between the eyes. You just want her to suffer first. Got it. She got her sister killed. She's a monster. You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, and poor Miles is now dying. We see Darlene and Father Flynn try to save... They first try to save him, and then instead, Darlene says to help him. And he's like, I can't, I'm not... And she's just like, help him. He says, Miles Miller, I, my name is Father Daniel Flynn, and I'm here to absolve you of all your sins. And tells him he's forgiven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really precious. It is. Miles dies in peace. Now the entire... We have failed to mention that they had been... That Billy Lee and Father Flynn had thought through some open fireplaces, and so now the entire mm-hmm. place is on yeah. fire. <laughs> As all good films, everything's on fire. God, Sean, this is two weeks in a row. We're talking about burning hotels to the ground. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? They retrieve the money. Father Flynn gives gives Darlene the film, and she throws it in the fire, along mm-hmm. with the registry. Yes. And we watch the remains of Laramie Seymour Sullivan and the names Darlene Sweet and Fuck You and Father Flynn go up in flames. Yep. And then we go to Reno. <laughs> yeah, good old Reno vacation <laughs> for the end. Yes, and there's a nice little so there's a nice little coda of the next day and Darlene is performing and she is performing without her wig, which I always found so fascinating cuz now she's she's more confident. She's more herself. Yes. Also, her wig got soaked in the rain, so I don't know how she'd really... Well, it also probably got burnt in the hotel. Yeah. yeah. I feel like she just didn't have a wig option. She could have gone and got one. Like She but... did have money. Yeah, she got money. Yeah, she, if she wanted she, it, she, she, she could have got it. You really think she came in that? That is not the green dress she came with. You remember? Because she had that... It was kind of a cheapy looking green dress. Yeah. And now she's in that like green sparkly, like I'm a star dress. She's watched. That is her. And that is uh, irrevocably her. Yeah. She's shining now. Wickedness. And Father Flynn has come to watch her. They have a moment. And then hold on. I'm coming. Plays sung by Cynthia Rebo. And that's the end of the movie. Yay. Yay. Yes. Such a good movie. It, it really is. It really is. Oh, this whole this whole movie. It was such an experience to go through, and I, I should mention uh, because I actually had gotten spoiled for Miles' death before watching the movie, but even even then, I like it still has such a, a strong impact on me when I when when it, when it actually happened. Mm-hmm. It really did. Oh. 
Yeah, I feel sad about it every single time. Not as sad as I feel for Dakota Johnson because she's wonderful. But, yeah, she's Miles breaks my heart a little bit. Well, but I, I like to think that Miles has found peace. And I don't think that was peace he found in life. He finds it in death. Well, clearly not. Exactly. He was shooting up heroin. You don't do that if you found peace. And he, and he also never revealed who was on the real, too, which I find really fascinating. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with keeping it ambiguous like that. Right. Definitely. And I, it's, it's very heavily implied to be someone who used to be president, but I think it's, I think it's better that they never. Yeah, there it. are two or three historical figures that they could have been, but I also love that they leave it ambiguous. And one thing I did want to mention is uh, I read a analysis on this and they said the El Royale is a representation of purgatory in which each of the characters has done something that warrants their stay there and or they will do something and each of them generally the the moral centers of the movie are the ones that survive yes i i, I did read about that which you know what it, it, again just being able to rewatch this in the future with this info reminder analysis of the movie it'll be really interesting yeah definitely this movie's just there's a lot of heart to this, and it's a lot to... The more you watch it, the, I've now seen it about three or four times, and it just gets better every time, because there's so much that I, I missed, or I'm, I'm re-catching, or something hits a different, you know, a different time around. Right. It's just really done well. Right. Oh, okay, wait, I was just looking at trivia. Uh, Manny Sacinto, he played one of the cultists, which is funny because... He's on, he's on The Good Place, and then Drew Goddard had also directed several episodes of The Good Place. Oh, that's awesome. I remember that's seeing Manny just in just name. Yeah, I do me love too. The Good Place. I was going to say, <laughs> my favorite joke in that is definitely how they can't cuss. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think is this is going to sound so stupid, but like the first episode has my favorite joke when she's just like, fork, <laughs> fork, fork. Why can't I say fork? <laughs> and he's like, this is heaven. You can't cuss. She's like, that's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and that is my one of my favorite jokes of anything ever. Thank you, Chris and Bell, for, for making my life ever since Veronica Mars. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so final thoughts. Uh, it is, yeah, just a great little movie. And I st- again, I still think the runtime could have been shaved down. You know, maybe some more details on certain backstories. Again, I, I really do feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe Emily and Rose, maybe just a little more details. I don't know, maybe. But uh, otherwise, a great movie. Fantastic. I loved it so much. I, I you know, I gave it a heart on Letterboxd. I, I rated it four stars and gave it a heart on there. Just, oh, wonderful. Yeah. And I'm glad I watched it, you know, specifically for this podcast. It gave me an excuse to push it up my watch list. <laughs> yeah i love yeah. when i get to do something like i haven't seen and it's like oh now i just have to do it i can't just be like oh i'll get around to it and then i finally watch something and i'm like yes uh what about you clayton oh this is a five-star film for me it was so funny when i went into it today because we're thinking back i'm like oh this is probably like four four and a half and i looked on letterbox and i was like oh man i, I get this a five and so i'm watching it because in my mind i'm like i feel like it was paced slowly or um, then I watched it and finished it and was like, oh yeah, this is definitely five stars in my book because I love all of it. The entire experience. 
Dakota Johnson, I love you so much. Yeah, it's totally five stars for me. Sean, where do you land on this? Um, I am right in the middle of the both of you. I am a 4.5 out of 5. Um, I think this movie is really well done. I do think it might have a couple issues where it gets a little, where it might get a little slow. But that might fix itself on another rewatch. Especially because every time I rewatch this, it gets a little better. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely going with a 4.5. And with a budget of $32 million, this grossed $31.9 million at the box office. Yeah, not even its budget back. It's oh. so sad. Yep. And unfortunately, Drew Goddard hasn't directed anything since. But he has been, he does have a couple problems in the year. Oh, good. And it does, and like you said, Letterboxd Store 3.5. Yeah. It is. Arthur, have you watched anything good lately? Have I watched anything good lately? Well, I yeah. actually, I actually did watch a uh, fresh. Oh, fresh, oh, fresh is good? good. Yes, earlier today, which I I really enjoyed it. I gave it four stars, another box, and it was quite the blast. And it's weird because I I, I knew what it was gonna be about, what 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 it would be about. It's not like I went into it blind or anything. You know, I even had some spoilers for the movie, full on spoilers. But it's like I dive into it and it's like, oh damn, this is a bonkers little blast. <gasps> I love Sebastian Stan in that movie. Oh, well, yes, yes. Him, Casey Edgar Jones, they're, they're both excellent. Great chemistry together. And the dancing scenes, dancing scenes are, are so Ugh, fun. So good. Sean and I both really enjoyed Fresh. The soundtrack. When it came out. Uh, so, Arthur, plug your shit. Where can people find you? Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much. For bringing me on here to talk about bad times at the El Royale, oh. and you can all you can listeners you can find me on Two Cents Critic, you know my podcast again. I cover I do I do reviews and recaps of books, movies, and TV shows, and you can find my podcast accounts on Twitter slash X. No, oh, it's not X; it's just Twitter. <laughs> yes, and Instagram at two underscore cents critic. I've got personal accounts on Twitter, GoodPods, StoryGraph, Letterboxd, and TikTok at Arthur underscore Ant18. I'm on Goodreads at Arthur Howell. If you want to email me, you can reach me at email twocentscritic at yahoo.com. I've also got a blog at twocentscritic.com. And basically, yeah, that's where you can find me online, basically for all the Two Cents Critic content. Yeah, you are always watching stuff. I am... In- always impressed at how many times i'm just like god damn how does he squeeze time into his day it's very impressive i have to schedule it out very well oh yeah fucking schedules uh speaking of (laughs) schedules and random things to keep track of um if you want to hear all of us talk even more sean and i were both just on two cents critic talking about death note sean just had an episode come out on the pod and the pendulum talking about jaws the revenge I just had an episode come out on the Drafty Quarters podcast talking about Itania. And uh, yeah, so there are lots of places and things you can hear us talking about right now. And if you want to find us on the socials, you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Facebook. Just search search the pod. And if you want to find me on the socials, I am on Twitter most often, but also on Letterboxd 
Blue Sky at Just Happy to See You. Number two, letter C, letter U. Sean is also on Twitter and Letterboxd and Blue Sky at uh, Murph the Smurf, M U R P H T H E S M U R P H. And if you want to email us about anything, our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com. So, Clayton, what are we watching next week? Well, next week we have a super cheerful movie lined up. Uh, we're talking about Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Such a light movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Have not seen that yet. I have. Uh, Ugh, be prepared. Just rough. clear clear your schedule for two days afterwards to lay in your bed and look at the wall and cry. Yeah, it's one of the roughest movies I've ever seen, and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm so excited. Uh, it is rough, but it's very, very good. Very good. Please don't forget to give us a rate or review if you have time. It helps podcast so, so, so much. And if you want to support us, I believe there's a little link in the description if you want to do like a little 99 cent donations or something. Every penny goes into this podcast. And yes, yeah, shout out to Vasi and Kristen, our yes. two to our two first supporters. Our yes. first two supporters, if I can English correctly. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. You can learn English in your retirement. Please don't forget to be kind to people, except your best friends. You can be really mean to them. I mean, my best friend told me the other day at dinner, like, why are you fatter than me? And, you know, it's fine. You love each other very much and you show it by being mean, like Sean and I do all the time. It's wonderful. But people in general on the street, be kind to them. It's hard out there. Arthur, thank you so much for coming to talk about bad times. I'm so glad that you got to finally see this and hate your two and a half hour experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you yeah. so much for being here. I'm I was really glad you got to you got to come on for this one. I was, I was hoping you'd like it when we got to talk a, a little bit before Death Note with it, and I'm just glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm so glad too. So glad. Just a, such a fun movie. By the way, do you think uh, Lewis Pullman looks like uh, Tom Holland? Because I, I was seeing a lot of a lot of box reviews compared to you, Chris Arthur. A little. I don't a, think so. Uh, I just think he looks like his daddy. I think he looks a little bit like Tom Holland, or Tom Holland looks a little bit like him. Whoever's older. I would say <laughs> I would say Lewis Pullman actually looks more like Griffin Newman. Uh, yeah, I would say a little bit, which is. It's funny, he does he does look a little bit like Griffin Newman. I don't know who Griffin Newman is. Griffin Newman is an is an actor but and also a podcaster, host co host of of Blank Shack. Not ringing any bells. I feel so out of the loop. Oh dear, Blank Shack. What that's like a, a big a big film podcast out there. Never heard an episode. I literally I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Blank, blank. I guess I need to add that to my backlog of podcasts <laughs> to try to listen to. Blank Jack with Griffin and David. <laughs> uh, oh, I will have to check that out. Yes. But uh, until next time. Oh, yeah. And we just had, by the time this drops, a inter- I interviewed Scott Heim about his book, Mysterious Skin. So check that out. And until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.